Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Detour Live. Uh, it's another jam-packed show. If he, you you did well getting Sir Dave Brailsford, <laughs> but uh, I've come out and delivered because we're going to go straight to the Vuelta. We've got stage seven today, and we've got George Bennett, who's preparing for another big day in the mountain. GB, how, how was the rest day, mate? Uh, always, always welcomed. Um, it's a bit different though. It's not like it's rest days aren't what they used to be, Jones. Rest days used to be the sort of like the essence of the the 40 year old man with a nice bike riding around cafes you just used to go and find a coffee shop put your deep wheels in ride and you just take over a whole cafe walking with your cleats the directors are riding everything like that but now it's in in, in covid times it's um especially in late october it's cut a lap as quick as you can get back to the bus get warm and uh and then just hit the pit for the whole day so i got through a bit of netflix and uh you know, all the standard stuff. But, yeah, definitely not as enjoyable as they used to be. And, George, what's the weather like uh, up in northern Spain at the moment? It looks pretty uh, pretty rough on the telly, mate. Oh, yeah, it's a bit grim, that's for sure. Like, um, I think yesterday – oh, no, David, so the Sunday stage was maybe one of the coldest I've ever been in. It was uh, – I think it was about two degrees on the tops and just absolutely pissing with rain. And, you, you know, it was like a, it was the – I couldn't believe it wasn't snow or ice, you know, it was just, um, yeah. And you got these long, filthy downhills and, and obviously everyone knows that the, the tourmalade stage was, was changed because of COVID. But if we had run the original stage on those weather conditions, it, I think I wouldn't be here to tell the tale on the podcast. Yeah, really. Well, everyone's talking about this jacket gate. Um, I didn't see the, uh, footage, but apparently Primoz couldn't get his bloody jacket on. What's going on there, mate? <laughs> oh, mate, we had a real mozza. Um, yeah, we had, we had a real shocker, eh? It's not often we have we, we make mistakes, but what what happened was the play by play was that um, we're getting the jackets and we already had jackets on. I mean, it was already freezing and crazy rain, and we already had lots of jackets on. But on top of that, there was a long downhill, and we decided we'd put another jacket on because you got down to the bottom, and then it was into the final climb, and. Um, we got some extra jackets in the feed bags and we started putting them on and just because we already, the hands are frozen and everything like that. A couple of the boys had a bit of trouble getting theirs on and I was fine. You know, I, I got mine on and I fought just to the front and, and I think they were just a little bit too relaxed from the guys and they were prioritizing the jacket over being in a good position at the top of the hill. And then, um, Ineos just launched this, uh, full gas downhill attack which split the peloton and I got to the bottom of the hill and I was, I was sitting in, you know, top five, 10 positions. I was, had no idea what was going on. And then I just heard on the radio, um, I heard some yelling and, you know, it was hard to hear everyone because everyone's got all these jackets on and stuff. And I sort of looked behind and I was like, Oh, I wonder where the boys are. And then, then I got the call on the radio, like, Oh, sorry, George. Um, we know you're in the front, but you have to sit up and wait. <laughs> and I looked behind and I sat up. So I sat up with the bunch and I had time to even like take a purse, get, take some of my jackets off. <laughs> and I was looking around and I was like, where are these guys? There's just nobody for, I couldn't see anybody. And then at one moment in the distance, I just see two guys with unzipped jackets hurtling across. <laughs> and it was, it was Tom um, doing this insane pull with Primoz on his wheel. And Tom just managed to get to me. And then, then it was all the other guys had already used all their bullets. They'd done the first part, and then hell. it was me and Primoz left, and we still had about thirty second gap to close. And we just said, "All right, well, this is in the next two or three minutes, we either win or lose the welter." And I just did the, the hardest I could do, and I got to the back of the peloton. And obviously, Movistar had caught on that I had to drop back, and Primoz was. Oh, there. those bastards! Yeah, and they just <laughs> they just went out shit. So they had two boys in the front. Of the, in the breakaway and they called them both back they said okay you two in the front sit up and they had like another six guys there from the from the peloton and then it was just eight guys versus me and primos and we just went crazy and we just got to the back but i think they knew that we were um absolutely gassed and then they just kept going and then uh all the way to the finish i tried to ride the front tempo and this uh, at this stage i knew okay my gc fight was over it was all hands on deck and i uh, tried to ride the front 
but they once they smelt blood mate they were just hooking us left left side of the road right side of the road and then everyone else started getting in on it and then you see like esteban and uh oh that little you know freak. yeah <laughs> you know everyone everyone just smelt blood and they saw that what, what we just had to do to get back and they could see the look on our faces that we were gassed and they just everyone just went yeah one two one two all is that, the is that what gives you the shits the most about Esteban? It gives off this persona of the smiling, you know, Colombian kangaroo. But deep down, like if oh, he mate. smells blood, he'll he'll shank you. He he is he is. Uh, it's all a show, you know. He's always like, ah, oh, it's okay, man. Live the life. Be happy. And he's just in the peloton. He's also like, ah, oh, you know, don't stress. But he's in the peloton. He's hooking guys left, right, and center. He's, he's yelling. I love it. So yeah, don't let him fool you. He ain't this. He ain't this uh, smile foundation. He's the. He's a fighter, which which I love about him. Yeah. Hey, so, uh, we had a so comment. very lucky, really, only to lose uh, thirty seconds. Really, isn't he? Mm, oh yeah, awesome. we we definitely could have lost a welter there, and uh, yeah, it's good though. These are the things that make you learn. These are the things that um, these are the things that you don't do twice um i mean i've probably already done it 10 times and that's why i was in the front group but um you know it's one of those things that the, the rest of the team will remember next time okay next time we make some changes in the logistics of it and we we realize that in this race when you have a guy like primos who's you know the world number one he's the, the essentially the you know he's the favorite and and people know they're not going to beat him in the time trial and they're probably not going to beat him up hills they just look for all these other opportunities to attack them when they can use a collective strength, like crosswinds or downhills or feed zones or whatever it is, you know, they just find a way to, everyone tries to flick you all the time. So um, you've got to be, you've got to be really sharp and just be ready for everyone to flick you. Well, with the jacket, what normally what's the protocol? You give it what, five seconds, 10 seconds. If you can't get it on, just write it off or what's normally what you do. Yeah, I mean, I saw Jai Hindley in the Giro, and he he was committing to the uphill jacket in the crosswind, and that was giving him the bike throws. Um, what I do is I commit to getting the arms over because the worst thing is if you get one arm over, then you have to get two over because if you have one arm over and you've got the other half hanging around your front wheel, that's mm. um, that's dangerous territory. But yeah, the zip the zip can. I mean, I get, once I get the arms over, which you can generally do reasonably quick, the zip you can just take or leave, you know, and, and if you get the zip, great. If you don't, then it doesn't mm. matter. So they need to invent some sort of um, new age Velcro or something. <laughs> We've been oh, debating we this a bit, George. Yeah, I know. We've been debating this over the last few days because we saw, you know, what happened with uh, Primoz, of course. And then and you mentioned Jai. He almost went down. Uh, mm. And in I think it was the same stage on the other side of the Stelvio where where Kelderman couldn't get his jacket on. In the end, he threw it away. And it affected him because he didn't have a jacket on the descent. And we're thinking maybe just for those situations, the old Velcro would be much better than a zip. What they used to do is uh, on a dry day is let's just chuck old bits of newspaper up, up your mm. shirt. Um Back in but my think, day. <laughs> yeah, I think newspaper when it's two degrees and raining is not very effective. So, I mean, when I was back on Radio Shack, I, we had Velcro jackets um, and they were terrible for any other situation other than getting them on quickly. Um, but yeah, there is, I think the, the, the main issue is, is actually our jackets we have now are pretty easy to put on normally. But we already had, I mean, I, I had five layers on. I had an undershirt, a normal race jersey, then like a short sleeve shirt over top of that. You know, I had a gabber, and then I put a rain jacket over top of the gabber. Um, <laughs> and you have big neoprene gloves on, so your fingers aren't your fingers are frozen; they don't move. You've just got no dexterity. So, I think um, on the downhill, that's what happened with us. And then in the Giro, I think the problem was just the crosswind. It wasn't really. If you had Velcro or not, it was just the fact that you had to sit up and then get the jacket over both your arms, and then yeah. that was the dangerous part. Um, we had a comment from Ian Thomas I was trying to bring up before. He said, George Bennett, for someone who said he was feeling a bit average before the event, you are doing a huge job so far this for Welter. Uh, you, you must be feeling pretty good form-wise, mate. Uh, you know, no? uh, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't have like the – it's, it's been it's been a weird year for me. I mean, before the tour uh, and going into the tour, I had like a really special feeling of, you know, where you just can be, you just know that no matter how hard it is, you'll, 
you'll be there. You might not win, but you'll make the selection up a hill. Um, and then obviously dropped myself day one on the tour and just crept around France. And it's just been a real battle to come back. And here I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you know, maybe the 10th best climber in the race. Um, but I, I don't have that, like, I'm not in control necessarily. You know, if they go really fast, I'm, I'm just hanging on the back. I'm not dictating the pace a- anymore. But uh, I'm hoping it comes, and um, this is the big weekend of Welter here. So, uh, yeah, I'm good enough to do a job. I'm good enough to, to be there or thereabouts and, and maybe influence a race, but I'm just, I just don't have the, that special feeling I have. It just hurts a little bit more. Everything, you know, you suffer, start suffering a little bit earlier than you used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, two weeks left of the year and you can just suck it up and, and actually a lot can change in a grand tour. And at least this, this time I have the feeling I'm getting better, not getting worse. So, um, we'll see what next weekend brings. That's a, that's a huge one for us. I mean, this welter is very front heavy. We've already had a crazy six days behind us and the next six days or the next seven days, cause that's a TT will dictate the race. Um, today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday are the after that, I mean, there's only one mountaintop. So, um, yeah, I can't wait too long for the real form to come. So today you've got a really uh, a decent stage and, and the finale is very steep. So is this your day for revenge or not quite for well, the last climb? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles today. I mean, you see that. So that climb, we do that climb twice and the descent before it is super tricky. Um, it's cold today. I think it'll stay dry, but it's cold. Um, it's windy. It's very windy and good jacket um, weather yeah i know there won't be jackets today there'll be uh it'll be skin suits short sleeves and uh <laughs> it'll just be a it'll just be a fight it'll be a real fighting stage and if this is it's actually a great ambush territory today um it's yes yeah, it's, it's a t- it's now the shoes on the other foot really we're sort of hunting rather than being hunted which is actually quite nice um but yeah, there's definitely some opportunities on that. On that, uh, depending on what happens with the breakaway. I mean, it's also a good breakaway stage. So, with tomorrow looming, which is one of the hardest uphill finishes of the race, there's also maybe people holding back a little bit. I'm, I'm not too sure, but I, I think there could be. But there's at least potential for for shit to really hit the fan today. And and if we sort of come over those hills in the technical downhill into the bottom, and then it, it goes full gas up that hill, and then there's crosswinds to the finish. I mean. Yeah, the ingredients are there. Well, um, how was Primos after that stage six? I mean, given that it was the jacket, Esteban, those movie star pricks, he wouldn't have been too <laughs> despondent knowing that his legs are still pretty good. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, I mean, he was He was just annoyed. You know, he was just frustrated at himself. And, and, and you know, of course, we were disappointed to lose time. But um, there was no defeated kind of vibe coming off at all and uh, mm. I mean 30 seconds is, is really nothing in the grand scheme of things I mean you look at the Jero and Teo at one moment was three minutes behind and uh, you know he just was the best guy in the race he just prevailed from from just being the most resilient guy in the race well just yeah. just on Teo's win does that give a lot of confidence to pretty much everyone in the peloton that anything can happen I think it gives a lot of uh well, I mean, not everybody can do what Taylor has done at all. But I think what it gives a lot of people hope in is the people that work really hard can achieve big things. Um, because, you know, Teo, he's, okay, obviously he's a big talent, but he's he's not Remco Evenepoel that's been from when he was 10 years old, this guy's going to be Eddie Merckx or whatever. He's just, he's a, obviously a big engine, but what he does so well is he's just, he's just, is so professional. He works so hard, and um, you know nothing's given to him. He sort of just graphs away. He just you know ticks all the boxes, does all the little things, and it's added up to him being one of the best riders in the world, and deservedly winning that. I mean, no one gave him that Giro victory. No one. Yeah, sure, maybe two guys crashed out or something, but he still bit Nibali. He still climbed with fastest climbing times. He was still, you know, it was a he would have beaten, I think he would have beaten any, uh, you know, pretty much anybody there as well. He would re- genuinely was a, a world-class guy there. And I think what people can look at that is go, if I work as hard as he does, I can also win a grand tour, you know, and it shows, I mean, it shows the value of hard work when you look at Teo and, and 
just keeping your head down and just not getting ahead of yourself and just working. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I take a lot of confidence from from his win. I mean, I was really happy to see his win. I was really happy to see Jai there as well and Wilco. I mean, all guys I know and have been teammates with Wilco as well. And um, yeah, for me, it was a really special Giro. And obviously a bit of me was hurting. That was my original uh, race plan to be at the Giro. And it's always hard to watch a race you were, you wanted to be at. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was really, for me, it was actually, I, I found it far more inspiring to see three young guys who work hard and, and, and race hard to being at the sharp end and, and being on podium of a grand tour than say, you know, I mean, let's say Nibali. I mean, Nibali, I'm not saying he doesn't work hard, but he's been a big talent since he was started riding a bike. Mm. What do you think of uh, Rowan Dennis's uh, performance on the Stelvio and Sestriere? It was. What were your um, thoughts on that one? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what do you say about Rowan? I mean, he's <laughs> he's he's a special guy, and um, man, he's just when when he uh, has a reason to ride his, to pedal that hard, he can do it, and all he needs is a is the right. Um, stimulus or the right sort of yeah the right reason let's say and he can he can climb with the best guys ever i mean if you remember he's he uh he did a tilt at gc in the giro in 2018 and he was sitting in sixth or seventh for for almost the whole race and he eventually caught up with him but he was climbing with uh, he was almost he wasn't losing much time to us on the hills and so when you see him you know obviously there's a a tight bond within that in the else team and and when he's there to put it on the line for his mate he can he can really do it and um yeah i think he you have to credit him with with breaking the other guys oh no doubt, no doubt. uh before yeah. we let you go george a couple of quick comments jenny whitehead says uh good evening guys good on you jenny uh stewie uh mcintosh he says gb will you ever do a more solid block of racing than the last month or two you are experiencing is this going to be a one-off i hope so mate i hope <laughs> i never have to put myself through what i've done this year i mean i i you know i genuinely have just turned myself inside out from from the moment we were allowed outside and i think in may i did four 30-hour weeks just to on the bike training then we went to altitude then we went to altitude camp with the team and then i just went to borgos total Lan, into Piemonte straight to Lombardy, straight to Tour de France. Basically, from Tour de France, had a day at home, went to the Worlds, and now I'm here in the Vuelta. So I just, yeah, I mean, hardly remember what my girlfriend looks like. It's it's just this crazy, <laughs> crazy year, and I hope I never have to do this again. I mean, um, I, I, I've, I'm grateful that we've been able to race. I'm grateful that we've, you know, that we've gotten so much out of this year, and you know, looking what it was compared to what it was looking like, but. Um, yeah, I just think I, I just don't think I can put my body through it again. It's um, I'm looking forward to two weeks time where I can, um, you know, I'm probably going to take about three or four weeks off the bike, and then I I don't think I'll start racing again until, um, you know, at least feb late February or something like that is is when I guess, you know, I just need to or at least without I won't race with any intent until March even and and. Uh, because I think just what we've done the last last three or four months has just been it's just been big workload and it's been enjoyable, but um, it's also been yeah it's a double edged sword. Do you, do you feel it in the peloton? A lot of guys cooked, given that it's what uh, late October and you, you know you're still in a grandy. Yeah, this is what we thought. You know, I, I was sort of uh, riding around yesterday in the neutral zone oh, two days ago and thinking you know the crazy rainy day and thought surely like this is just going to be people just want to get to the finish and then it was just war absolute war um so i think everybody's the same you know we say yeah we're tired and we want to go home we're, we're you know whatever you put a race number on us and put us in a peloton and we just we just we just show that we are just all slightly evolved monkeys you know it's just <laughs> primal instincts and we just see a line and you got to go from there to there as fast as you can and you just go and it doesn't matter how unmotivated or whatever i mean the, the, the average powers of the last six days you know it's been far more than any opening week i've done i mean 
largely because of the nature of the course. They've been hilly days and bus country, small roads up and down. But as much as people talk... You there, mate? It's all right. Your audio is just dropping in and out. Yeah, but, oh, but this yeah. whole year has been uh, yeah. has been crazy like that, George. I mean, uh, I've just been blown away by the intensity of the racing in everything that we've seen in every in the Tour de France, in the Giro, now in the Vuelta, in all the classics. Everything's just been a step up than what I imagine it could be. Yeah, oh, and I think that just shows that um, you know people that that um, we. We didn't know if we were going to get a race. And then I think back to my first race out of the blocks was uh, Borgos. And that was just from day one, crosswinds and, and big fights. And then straight into, every, you know, every race has been done at full gas because people, maybe they don't know if it's the last race or if, I mean, there's also a lot of uncertainty within the peloton in terms of um, employment for next year. A lot of guys out of jobs. I mean, I'm hearing 100, 100 riders still need contracts. So, um mm. I Tough think times. there's a lot to fight for. All right, mate. Anyway, well, we better, I'll be to go better to let you go to Brecky. Uh, last word, Sheila Richard says, uh, not that one. She, this is the comment. She says, good uh, early morning from New Orleans. GB, huge fan. Much respect to you all. So Sheila's oh, thanks, a big Sheila. fan, mate. No worries, mate. Enjoy, Brecky. Thanks for joining us on the detour, mate. We'll speak to you soon. All right, go boys. See you later. Enjoy, mate. Cheers. Great insights there, Ify, from George Fantastic. Bennett. Fantastic. Yes, you delivered very well there, uh, Dan. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm, uh, I've got another one. Alan Davis is at the Vuelta as well doing some stuff with the UCI, so I've just said to him we're ready to go. Now, while we're waiting for Elby, do you want to do a quick plug for Mutrin and Wines, John? Of course. I do this with pleasure. Uh, all the time. So Every I'm, day. I'm a- I'm heading up there in a couple of days, actually. I'm looking forward to it as always. I just rang them today to uh, book a group wine tasting for next Sunday, which we'll be doing. But, uh, yeah, it's one of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape. You experience the history, the beauty and the serenity of the Golden Valley at your own pace. Looking over the vineyards from the iconic tower, staying at their new hotel, relaxing by the pool, recharging the day spa, exploring the seasonal menu at the Muse, which I'll be doing big time on Sunday, and stopping by the Provador, touring their cellars and, of course, tasting their signature wines. Yes, there's one of them there. Mm-hmm. It's becoming it's become a hugely popular venue for, for weddings and, and major functions. Just gorgeous spot. And there's uh, a couple just about to uh, uh, tie the knot. Uh, and and, a, and uh, a couple of guys who uh, I look, I don't, I'm not sure if they're tying the knot or, or themselves. It could be these days. Um, and, of course, the Aboriginal I, Art I, Gallery. I think they're tying the knot, John. I think that's – think so? Yeah, I, unless the bridal party is very close, I think they're tying the knot, John. <laughs> That's the uh, news gallery. <laughs> the Aboriginal Art Gallery, which is world class and it is amazing. And when you look around through there, you can see the ten thousand uh, uh, dollar Land Cruiser land, that has uh, the eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar boat. Eight fifty! Wow. Yep. That's yep. huge. Yep, Good stuff, right. John. Well, we've, <laughs> we've, we're waiting on Alan Davis, but we've got another guest, Sam Buley. Morning, boys. Hey, Bills. How are uh, you? All right, actually. <laughs> Up in Andorra, it's covered in snow outside. Really? Okay. Beautiful. I was at the beach yep. a couple of days ago, and now I'm in the mountains. Yeah, we just had uh, your old sparring partner, George Bennett, on. Um, yeah, I saw he was there, yeah, dribbling. You got to feel sorry for the guy because, um, from a rider's perspective, are you envious of the guys that have got two weeks to go uh, in the Tour of Spain? Oh, I think it's pretty tough for those guys there. You can obviously see. Um, I was speaking with Julian Dean last night, who's the director of the Michigan Scott team there, and he said the racing's been unbelievably hard, super aggressive every day. You can see the weather's bloody crap. It's nearly November, um, and like you say, Jonesy, everyone else in the peloton has finished racing. There's only a hundred and hundred odd people still racing, um, so I think they are probably the ones envious of us more than more so than us. Than us. <laughs> um, yeah. Before you go, if you, I think we should do a quick word from our mates at Bike Exchange, and then when we come back, we'll unpack uh, the Giro again and, and talk about the Vuelta. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. 
<clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell. And thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours. And the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Now we've got another guest. It's uh, jam-packed. We've got Alan Davis who's at the uh, Vuelta. Mate, that's a nicely pressed UCI shirt, mate. Right, oh, mate. business. It's all, hey? uh, it's all systems go here, mate. There you go, fellas. <laughs> Good. Good, Albie. What's, Albie. What, what's your Good. role at the, the tourist? What's your role at the tourist Spain, mate? So, um, UCI technical advisor is my role here, mate. So, yeah, been here since the start, and uh, it's all going pretty good. And uh, how's it all going with the uh, technical advice? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, up until now, it's been um, there's a lot of work that goes into it before the race actually starts. So um, it's been months trying to get everything organised with the organisation. And um, mate, they've been they've been really good. The organisation has uh, set a really good really good example, I think, on how to control the circumstances with COVID, especially. Um, they've done a really good job. Uh, we've had really good reports from all the teams, the CPA which doesn't happen that often. So, um, yeah, no, it seems to be going pretty good at the moment. Well, Albie, can you take us through what your role is in a day? How's your day uh, pan out? So I'll, I'm basically here with the so the UCI commissaires of the race. So um, that's not my job, but I'm here with them. So I'm basically, basically like a middleman in between the UCI and the organisation and the teams to try and get everyone on the same page and to and to pass information. Um, so basically I, on a daily role, I go to the start, um, I go do the rounds of the teams, all the team directors, and and a lot of them are my old teammates or my old teams that I've been involved with. So I know a lot of them personally. Uh, get any information from them that needs to be passed on to the, to the organization or the UCI or vice versa. And then I basically go in front of the race and just give give a bit of a, a look at the the race route with an ex-bike rider's eyeball, you know, and um, really check on safety and uh, anything else that really pops up and then go to the finish and analyse the race from um, from the TV. And then after that, uh, all the commissaires meet at the finish. We have the meeting and then uh, put a communique out on, uh, on the commissaires' work, what they have to do to the to the to with their job. And then um, basically we head home. Given that you're a former sprinter, Albie, is road furniture a big thing that you're looking out for, particularly in those finals? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's a complicated. Uh, you know, it's not a football stadium. It's a the bike racing's a rolling event, so it's uh, every day has is different. So um, road furniture, I really like to check the the finish the finish line. You know, the last few k's. Um, obviously, as we know. It's um, especially on a sprint day. It's really, really important. You know the barrier set up. Um, just, just little, little minor details. You know how the sponsor. Um, you know how it's attached to the barriers. How the sponsor, finalia is all. You know promoted and just, just make sure it's like a safe um, environment for the riders to put on a show and little things that bike riders pick up that you know other people wouldn't. Um, it's basically what I'm looking for. Yeah. Is there a bit more of a concern given that uh, COVID's bloody exploding in Europe at the moment and, and parts of Spain now are going into sort of full lockdown, I think, for the next couple of weeks? Are they worried about the next two weeks uh, with the areas that you're going to in Spain? Yeah, well, ironically, Jonesy, you know, everyone here inside the bubble is probably safer mm. than outside mm. the bubble. So 
especially if you've got kids, you know, you go home and your kids go to school, you know, they're, they're accessing hundreds of other kids and teachers. And so you're open to getting infected a lot more at home than in this bubble. Um, so it is, you're right, outside in Spain, it's getting, it's getting uh, and across Europe, it's getting more and more as we get into Europe, uh, sorry, as we get into winter, as expected. So um, it is starting to heat up a bit. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of the information and what, what the race will go on is inside the bubble, um, the test, the, you know, testing results. I know we've been tested uh, a couple of days ago, the, all the police, everyone involved, and there was zero um, cases. So a lot of it, I think, will de determine, depend on that and how those, those results come out. Are the uh, UCI still checking for motors, or are they sort of got to the point where they're like, nah, no one's got it's a motor anymore? Sock height, mate. Yeah, mate. Sock height, <laughs> sock height hurts. No, nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> definitely motors. Actually, Dan, that was part of my job before um, the race started. I had to. There's a time trial in. Uh, actually, you were there in 2012. Remember, we went up a really steep climb, uh, really over the Galicia side. That was the first time the race has been up there. Was so, that when you had that motor that year? Oh, shit. Sorry, mate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're going up there again, and actually the the race is going to put like a pit lane um, for the time. It's a time trial. So at the bottom of the climb, there'll be an option for the riders to get a bike change. Mm. So um, it's been a, obviously with the motors and that situation, you know, we have to have extra personnel from the UCI to check that the spare yep. bikes haven't got motors and all that sort of stuff as well. Yep. Uh, if he anything add before we let Albie well, get back to work? <laughs> well, a question for Albie as, a, as an old pro, uh, and you've been around the bike game for a long time, do you reckon, with lots of rumours, do you actually reckon any of the pros, anyone in the world tour, has tried to cheat with a motor? I wanted to ask that. Good question. <laughs> 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 uh, so, you know, as Viewers could probably back in some days if it feels like it. You know, <laughs> racing. Other days it feels like an anchor. Uh, <laughs> they got a motor and we got a parachute. Yeah. But um, I don't know, mate. It's so. Um, Come on, know, Alan. We want names. Who oh. was cheating? <laughs> oh, Break no, it I, here I on the detour. A motorbike, a motor of my bike, but um, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't think so. But it's definitely something yeah. that you know, as we move forward with technology, you have to keep an eye on. Um, it's probably would have been possible before when no one was talking about it. Maybe it was possible then to get away with it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. But I think it's something that needs to be monitored for sure. Mm. Good stuff, mate. Well, we better let you get back to work. I know you got to head out. Is an hour transfer. Uh, transfers haven't been too bad at the Vuelta here compared to the Giro, at least. Yeah, well, no, they've been a lot better, mate. That's um, part of my job as well, leading into the the months leading into the race. And as soon as the you know the race route gets announced, um, just working with the organisation to try and keep it all. You know, there is rules in place with transfers now with the World Tour races, so um, making sure that you know everyone obliges to that. And if there is a an, uh, an example where it has to go over, that you know that's. It's known beforehand, and the teams are known about it. So, they're just common sense rules, really. But uh, it's yeah. all pretty good. Oh, good stuff, mate. All right, mate. Well, uh, enjoy hey, the rest of the day, and uh, good luck finding those motors. No worries, boys. <laughs> Have a good one, mate. See you, mate. See you, mate. Um, just on those transfers, Bules, um, Geez, how much does that tax you at a Grand Tour when you look at the race route and you go, oh, that's a filthy stage, but then they throw in those, oh, it's going to be an hour and a half to start and two hours at the finish? Well, if, you, if you ask Luca Mizkits, he loves them. He loves the time on the bus. But ultimately, I mean, yeah, we complain about them and stuff, but we do have a nice, comfortable bus. We do have a shower. We do have food and all that stuff. But, yeah, it does delay the recovery process in a sense because – Often, if you have a long transfer after the stage, you can't have a massage because you might not arrive at the hotel until nine o'clock at night, as, or, or you know, as opposed to six or something. Um, so, you, like, you lose massage and, and you end up having dinner late, which means you go to bed late. So, yeah, the the post race transfers for me is a little bit more annoying than the pre race transfer. Um, yeah. 
Um, we were asking George earlier about what effect Teo's uh, Giro win and even the ride of Jai Hindley, um, how much confidence does that give to the peloton in terms of, you know, anything can happen, in, uh, particularly after 2020? Yeah, that's right. Uh, mate, those two kids are dope. Kids say kids. Jesus, listen to me. It's like an old man. Yeah, uh, pumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, Back in my day when I started. That's my starting to sound like bloody iffy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, mate, they, they, I, it's a funny, it's such a funny year, like you say, Jonesy, because those two guys, as classy as bike riders they are and good, good, good people they are, no, they weren't on the favourites list. Of course not. They were there to to ride for either Jerome Thomas or Wilco Kelderman. Um, and it's sort of like the epitome of 2020 and just the Giro. We we know, we all, we've spoken about it on the show before about how much can change in the last week of the Giro. Uh, you, guys, you and Effie were talking about it a lot, about, you know, the, the race still has so far to go with only a week to go because you never know what can happen. And look what happened. Taya was three minutes behind at one point. Um mm. And he ended up winning the Giro. So yeah, it's just, but it's it's the step, it's the changing of the guard in a sense. Uh, you can see it obviously at the tour with Pogaccia, and then you have got these two young guys as well. It is the changing of the guard. But Nibali said that he said that you know it's not an old man's <laughs> the Giro this year is not an old man's race, and he was right. Um, and yeah, these these young guys are just they're just stepping up. They always were going to step up, but um, these days they step up quite quickly compared to certainly back don't. in my day. <laughs> Hey, Johnny, I want to ask you, what, what were your big takeaways from the chat yesterday with uh, Sir Dave Brailsford? I don't think I've ever seen him as animated as that. He, he was really in a, in a great place. Um, mm. I know he's been pretty crook. He, you know, he's been, uh, as you mentioned, he's had prostate cancer and he's uh, still going through some tests and that with that. But um, my big takeaway was that he really, what he said about changing their way of, of thinking Mm. was pretty honest, I think. And I, that was my big takeaway, that he's not going to just go into races with a plan of dominate the time trials and and put in a, a defensive style. He, he, he got ex- quite excited about this Giro and the way that they're, they're, they're raced. So it's been a bl- much as bad as it was for G to, to uh, smash his pelvis and crack out, out of the race. It, it really was... Something for uh, Ineos where they went out and, and did something so different. I mean, there were so many things that happened for that team in this bike in that bike race. I mean, seriously, uh, Ghana for a start. Okay, the world's best time trial. The stage he did, the road stage he won in the mountains. That was mind more mind boggling than his time trial wins. And then up uh, uh, up uh, uh, the last two mountain days with, with Rowan Dennis up Stelvio and, and Sestriere. That was that was game changing. He 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 won the the, the tour for, for Teo without any doubt. So so for the team it was just staggering, and you could tell that. Uh, you know, we, I don't know if you saw it last night, yours, but we had him for nearly an hour, uh, uh, Dave Bradsford, and he was, yeah, he, he was, uh, yeah, quite forthcoming on a lot of things. He's probably he's probably feeling a little bit more chipper than he was at the end of September after the tour, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we, we, I think we tried to get him three weeks ago, and I think he gave you for the ass because it was just after the tour, and you know, and I think G just crashed out or whatever. But um, the other the other thing was, uh, it seemed like he understood a lot more the the power of having fun and enjoying what you do rather than taking that sort of robotic approach. Now, Buell's one of the things that popped up is we had like some viewer comments and they said, you know, for a long time there, Green Edge, you know, took having fun pretty serious and that actually enabled them to punch above their weight. Um, Do you feel that that's been a big part of the culture uh, over the years? Oh, it's the the backbone of what this team's been built on. Um, And... Like you say, I guess you, I mean, we've never been on the inside of Ineos or Sky or whatever, Grenadiers, um, to know if they have fun. And I'm sure they have, I'm sure they have a little bit of fun. But um, it's, I guess you could compare our team and their team, probably two quite different ways of operating in terms of the culture. Like, the, um, we're certainly about winning. We want to win on this team as well. But it, it's not at the expense of having good people um, and, and making a culture and making a home and stuff like that. And, I reckon that did, you know, early on the team was still finding its feet and, uh, we, you know, finding what direction we were going to head in. We were sort of more of a sprint team for a couple of years there and then we 
we started to think, oh, maybe about the classics, and then we went into the GC stuff, and uh, that's that's changed the way we uh, do things off the bike as well a little bit. You know, we do have to be a bit more onto it with training camps and altitude camps, and you know, we're ticking all those boxes and doing all those things as well. But like I say, it's not at the expense of of the culture of the team and the people that are involved in the organisation. I mean, you could be a, the world's greatest bike rider, but if you're a dickhead, we actually do have a no dickhead policy in this team. Uh, and and that's super important for me, 100%. It's, it's the number one thing uh, and why I want to continue to race my bike and why I want to continue to race my bike in this team because I, I have fun and I feel like I'm at home. Yeah, for sure. And also, do you, do you find that um, what they're – uh, what's evolving is when you do remember back in the days you'd hear stories of Sky doing these like Mallorca training camps where they'd literally bunker down for three or four weeks there'd be no internet you know guys are away from their families and that it takes a special rider to fit into that culture where it is like you are putting so much on the line do you think that that's also had an effect on some of the performances that we've seen maybe this year particularly with COVID like you know the mental effect with some guys, it has literally cooked them a bit what they've had to go through. Well, I think you can even go back further than this year. Um, and you look at the likes of Bradley Wiggins, who, uh, unbelievable talent, uh, and but he wasn't, his his brain hasn't been built to, to operate like that, Jonesy, like for years and mm. years and years on end. Whereas through me, maybe he's different. He That's what he thrives on. He can operate in that system, and that's why he won for Tour de France's, whereas Wigo, he only had one in him. He only had one year in him because he mentally he couldn't continue to operate that way. Um, and that's why he was only going to ever win one tour. And then G G as well, I think. I don't know G that, G that well, but a little bit that he he's a bit more of a relaxed character as well from all from everything I understand about him. And um, he's come in late to the GC game. You know, obviously he did all the track stuff for a long time. He did all the classic stuff for a long time. So he wasn't quite in that that uh, Mayorkan three-week training camp, no internet system, like you're saying, it's a little bit later on. So he don't, he, he'll only do it for two or three years as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's it's at the expense. The way they do it is can be at the expense of characters because they sorry, um, they, <laughs> yeah, they just want to they want to win the races and that, and they they always know there's someone else coming. So if they can only handle it for one or two years, they just tune them through and bring other guys through. And that's and you see it, you know, like. I mean, they have success and they win lots of grand tours, but they win lots of grand tours with lots of different guys because they just they just recycle them and they're okay with that. Mm. Well, we've got a comment from Ian Thomas. He said, Ineos let Rowan do his thing this year and look what happened. Do you feel that at times as a rider, you can have your head filled with just too much shit? Sometimes just let the guys just race. Have a plan, but just let them race. Yeah, I guess that comes down to characters again as well. Like you could... Yeah... It comes down to yeah, the you could you could say that, but this but if you're talking to the wrong person, they'll still fill their heads with shit because that's how the, who they are. Um, or you can fill someone's head with lots of shit, and they would only take on what they need to take on because that's who they are. It just comes down to to characters, to what what your character is, what your personality is, and then I think as a team manager or as a team director, it comes down to managing those personalities in different ways because everybody is different. So you can't. You can't speak to eight people on the bus as if those, all those eight people operate in exactly the so, same manner. But what you're saying is it depends on how big your shit tank is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got a big one. Truthfully, I know what I'm saying. Like, I came onto the show. I was just kind of out of bed. <laughs> I've walked into the <laughs> and I've just been bombarded with these questions. <laughs> you know, I don't know the answers to. <laughs> you're so used to doing the social distance podcast where we talk about stuff that has got nothing to do with bike racing. And then you come in here and I put this 60 minutes cap on. I'm like, well, Sam, we want to really delve into the psych of a bike rider. I was supposed to go on Skype with my old man. I told him I'd be on in 15 minutes. He's, oh, sorry, he's, mate. He's watching the detour, so he okay, knows I'm now, on. You know what? Dave, Bra Dave Brailsford has taught me to just cut the crap. And let's just go back to having fun. We've got another comment, Sam. Tell us about Dos Kiwis Brewing Bules. <laughs> Dos Kiwi Brewing. It's uh, it's a Kiwi guy in Girona, or just about 15K to Girona, who, who lived in London for a long time, moved to Girona uh, about five years ago, or no longer, actually, and started a brewing company. Um he married a Catalan bird. He called it Dos Kiwis. He's the only Kiwi in the group. But, yeah, it's just a microbrewery, craft beer, um, mm. tap house, about 15K to Girona. And, you know, he's, all the Kiwi boys go there, watch the rugby and stuff. He's a sweet dude. Yep. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> stuff. Of course, of course. All right, well, 
anything you want to leave Bules with? He's got to Skype his old man if he's so make it well, a good one, please. He's watching the show, so he probably I've probably got time now because he's gonna. Why don't we send him a link? Get him on. <laughs> <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone. Kenny's Ken, a great yeah. character. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to add, Ify? Well, I'll just say what, what, what Bules was just saying, what you, the question you asked, and that's exactly what Dave Brasler was saying, you know, with what happened to at the start of this uh, uh, with G and he's suddenly out, it made them all, you know, think differently. So, okay, go for their own thing and, and, and he got excited about the race. So it's made him change what he wants to – he's saying that now, but when you get to a next Grand Tour and you've got someone who you reckon is going to uh, – is a great time trial and can win it, you'll end up going back to the same old uh, way of doing it because it's been so successful. But at the moment, he's excited. Well, I, I felt a bit cheated with the interview because I had my own dramas here with the internet. So I didn't realise that I've got like a Telstra um, dongle that Sandy hooked me up with. And it's 4G. I'm in Ocean Grove. So the reception's not too bad. But I could sense that something was draining the juice out of this thing. And I'm looking around the house and I'm trying to disconnect devices. And I forgot about that. You know that Google Chromecast you can get that you plug in your TV? This thing sucks the juice and Wi-Fi out of your, your dongle. So as we're talking to Dave, all of a sudden it cuts out on my end when he's telling us about how to make cycling more sustainable. My heart just starts skipping a beat. I'm thinking, shit, this is one of the best interviews we've had all year and it's cut out. It's over. And then I finally come back on and I was so rattled. And then it happened again with Dave Miller. And at one point, if you had to step up the plate and do the rap, and I'll, yeah, that, that mentally cooked me. Absolutely fried. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. Yeah. I, was I was disappointed when Josie came back. I was just about to uh, take over the show myself. One, one question I would have loved to have asked him, and that was I didn't know he had health issues, John. I didn't know he had um, prostate cancer and he sounds like he's recovering well. How does that, given that you've gone through similar stuff, how does that change your mindset, John, when you do get news like that and you are in recovery? Does it change the way you look at things moving forward? Well, I, I did know about it earlier with Dave because we spoke about it last year. We had a bit of a chat on the phone about it and he was, telling, you know, I was using me as a sounding board. Look, it does. A lot, everyone treats it differently. You know, I had a, a fairly serious one with esophageal cancer, but I'm a very positive person. I always, you know, what it does for a lot of people when they have a life-threatening cancer and recover, they then realise life is short and you've got to enjoy every day. Uh, you know, don't think about the long term, enjoy every day, smell the roses. But I always did that anyway. So probably, and I'm not joking, I mean, I always have. So it probably didn't change me a lot. And I always believed I would recover. But, uh, you yeah, know, Dave sounded um, yeah, pretty pretty good yesterday. He's, I think he's, uh, he said he had some tests to go, but he sounds like he's uh, he beaten the damn thing, the mongrel mm. thing. Well, you you actually lost a significant amount of weight after your operation, and and for a while there, you had a lot lot of people coming up to you going, "Jesus, John, you look great. What's the secret, mate?" And what was your reply? Yeah, cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Works well. It's one of the great weight loss programs. Works well every time. Uh, all right. Well, um. We are looking forward to stage seven of the Vuelta. Um, who's your prediction, uh, Ify? Who do you think is going to win the stage? You, well, going on what Bennett said, Roglic, his form's actually not too bad. He just can't do up a bloody jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, uh, the the GC guys will be playing some games, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a break go away today. Mm-hmm. Um I'll, um, I'll quickly run you through um, who the favourites for the stage are. Roglic okay. is on top, $7. Uh, Lewis Leon Sanchez, 9 uh, Bagioli, 13 Costa, uh, Formolo, Peters, uh, Omar Frail. Uh, yeah, then you can write a checkbook for the rest. But you like any of those ones? No, I, I'm going to go for a break with with none of the, no one that's up in the in the top twenty on GC. I think it would be someone uh, a good break that gets up the road. Uh, okay. For tonight. Right, yep. you, Bill. Yeah, I, that's the first time I've seen the stage just then, so I'm processing quickly. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, on paper, I agree with you. I think breakaway. Um, 
and I think it's a pretty steep climb that climb from memory. Uh, mm. So maybe quite a good stage for Michael Woods or someone like that. Oh there yeah, Woodsy. Throw, throw that name out there. Okay, yeah. uh, um, we had a pretty good comment, uh, and it was from Lucy Jones, mainly directed at you. If he, um, who do you think will win cycling? Australia's Cyclist of the Year with Richie's TDF and now Jai's Giro result this year. That's a good one. That is a very good one. I, I, I would have to lean towards Jai because you know, uh, best ever Australian uh, in a in a in a Giro. Um, I did say uh, yesterday it was the first uh, Australian on the podium, but it wasn't because Cadell finished third in 2013. I'd forgotten about that when he was at BMC. But um, still, that's the, the, the best ever effort for by an Australian in the, in the Giro. I think that, to me, uh, would nail it. Well, Tomo disagrees. He says, Richie, for me, Jai's time will come. So there you go. Uh, and also, Tom Maloney wants to know, John, tell us about you coming out of it after your operation with 10 bikies in your room at hospital. What's all that about? <laughs> well, it was interesting because uh, one of the legends of, uh, of Australian cycling uh, um, had, had passed, Peter McDermott, a Geelong guy, had passed away and his funeral uh, was in Geelong and a whole stack of the guys come over. Tommy was there uh, and uh, Donnie Allen and um, uh, um, Kevin Morgan from Tassie. And all these great legends all went to the funeral. They said, oh, we better go and see... They, they tell if he, if he's on his last legs, he's probably not going to make it, so we better go and say hello. So I woke up and they're all standing in the room. And I thought, Jesus, my funeral. I woke up my own funeral. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Bills, I think we had a, a question here from Wendy Superman. Bills, how's your recovery? Um, it's It's been slow, Wendy. It's been slow. Um, I'm, it's all right now. It's okay, but it's still not 100% actually, to be honest. Um, we had a, we went on holiday over the weekend, and this story will come back to my wrist. Um, and we were sitting on the couch on the last night, and one of the girls got up to go to the kitchen, and she just started, she just shit herself, like, ah, started screaming, and I and I like panicked, like I thought there's someone in the house, so I jumped yeah. up and pushed as hard as I could. With first time I'd actually just forgotten about my wrist because I had to spring into action. Pushed off the couch as hard as I could, and my wrist. I felt like it was just oh, really? Turns out it was a rat. There was a rat in the kitchen. So, <laughs> one in the kitchen, one in the lounge room. <laughs> two rats. <laughs> um, that so must have been good. good. To, must have been good to get away, Bills. Given the year, um, particularly at this pointy end. Uh, now that you know, a lot of guys are they just need a break. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really bad. And um, as we. As you guys were saying before, it's really bad in Europe again. It's particularly bad in Spain uh, and particularly bad in Catalonia where, where a lot of us are, are spending this time. So um, there's a lot of new restrictions being put in place over the last couple of days. Uh, we're sort of heading back down that path that no one wants to go down again. Um, but yeah, lots of restrictions. Bars and restaurants are closed. We've got a curfew now uh, with big fines if you've seen outside after the curfew. Uh, so it was, was nice to get away to um, the Balearic Islands where the restrictions are not so bad. Where we, you know, we, we were still very cautious, taking precautions, um, everyone, every precaution that we could. We just had a big house and we'd just spend most of the time there, but we could go out for lunch if we wanted to and go to the beach and, and things like that. So it was really nice to get away from from the shitstorm for a little bit, even though uh, it still exists there. But now I'm in Andorra and it's, it's not much to do here because it's snowing, so that's all right. Sheila wants to know, I should have queued it up. Tell us about the picture of your butt pose, Bules. What's the backstory? Oh, there's a backstory to that, actually. Um, <laughs> so we, we had eight of us on this on this weekend away in the islands, and we, we ended up having a boys' afternoon where we just went to the beach. Um, the girls wanted to go shopping. The boys were probably too hungover to do that, so we just wanted to go lie on the beach. And there was it just seems everywhere we went in Ibiza was just these Instagram influence. You know, everyone was looking for the perfect shot, whether it was the perfect shot of the sunset or the perfect no, shot of themselves. And there was this one girl at this particular beach that honestly, it would have been one and a half hours standing on the same rock, stand, doing like this and that. and rah, 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 take, She would have taken 100,000 photos of it. Like we were literally sitting on the beach like, this is mind-blowing, an hour yeah. and a half. So then I just took the piss out of her and did one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good stuff! All right, anything you want to add before we go, Ify? Have we have we shown the um, our sponsors video? 
Yeah, did it earlier. Mate, you first stages of dementia. Are you sure? <laughs> so this on every episode. We did. Bike, no, I know I did mine, but did we show the bike exchange one? We did show it. I said okay. before you answer, I showed the video, and then Alan Davis come on. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> oh, before you go, actually, um, I saw a article on uh, cycling tips. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting, and two guys, Ashley and Jared Gruber, they went and rode the Roubaix course anyway, just to see what conditions it would have been on Sunday, and we missed Oof. what could have been an absolute bog heap. You know how everyone wants a boggy Roubaix? Uh, yeah, that would have been on Sunday. Um, how, how would have that go on, Bules, if you didn't bust your wrist and, and Roubaix went ahead and you had to saddle up? I would have busted it there, I suppose, by the looks. <laughs> no, it looks pretty gnarly, eh? But they, they do clean yeah. – in fairness, they do clean the roads. Like, if the race was on, they would have made an effort to make uh, that right. a little bit more rideable. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it would have been, like you say, the first wet, muddy Roubaix we've had in a long, long time. I've um, got to tell you, Jonesy. We are. It's scary that we're on the same wavelength. I was looking at that cycling uh, tips. Those photos of the of the groupers doing that, and it was on my little list to bring up. Really, that, that we would, would have got a wet Paris-Roubaix this year. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Uh, well, the website, if you are living under a rock, is uh, cyclingtips.com.au. Yep. yep. So go check that article out. There's some great photos. Hey, Bills, before we go, what's the general chat um, among the riders and, and teams and stuff about when do they think the season will get underway next year? Do you think there's going to be a bit of a delay given what's going on in Europe? Uh, no one knows. We, we've got team meetings, some team meetings in the next couple of weeks. Um, I think the team, the team's still working out the logistics behind that as well with the, with the new restrictions they might mean that they're virtual meetings, uh, but we will have meetings about the race calendar and stuff. Uh, it's so hard to know. I mean, I think, yeah, come come January in Europe, things aren't going to be considerably better um, because things are just getting quite quite bad quite quickly. Um, but there's still racing going on. Like, So they're proven that they can race. Like the Giro's have went all the way to Milan. Uh, mm. The Vuelta's still go, still going, still racing, and even though like the country's got massive lockdowns and restrictions in different areas, still going. So I think that's a sign that the governments are okay with it, and it's also a sign that, um, like Albu was saying, they've had no positive cases, um, and the, the bubble is it's actually healthier to be in the cycling bubble than outside of it. I hundred percent agree with that. So yeah, the governments are obviously saying, yeah, we're okay with it, and the races are, are pulling it off. So. Even if it is bad in January or February in Europe, I, I don't think there's anything to say that the races won't happen at this point because we've proven that they can. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. Um, before we go, another comment from Lionel Marie. Hello. Uh, hey, guys. Nice to hear you in Aussie's accent. I think that's meant to be Aussie. But, uh, yeah, no, we know what you mean. I hope you're well. Lionel, he's a DS for Israel's startup nation. Um, yeah. So he'd be pretty g uh, working with Froomey and Daryl MP next year, and, and Dan Martin's in form. He's looking, uh, looking good fine. at the moment. Yeah, and uh, also uh, on the show tomorrow, we've lined up a, a very special guest, John Zach Dempster. Oh, what what sort of questions should we pump into Demers, Jules? Ask about his dog. Loves his, his dog. dog. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just ask him how his dog is, and you'll get a good twenty minutes out of him. Really. Yeah. Um, ask, him he, ask him how he lost the bay crits in a photo finish. <laughs> okay. Have you got photos of that? <laughs> All right. No You're asking the wrong people, Jonesy. <laughs> All right, John, anything you want to add before we go? Uh, Buell's great to see you, mate. Hope that wrist uh, heals up. So, Thanks, mate. Uh, yeah. All good, bud. I, I'll Next give you a bit Jones, more, I'll yeah, give you a bit more, a bit more notice. notice. 12 yeah, hours, okay. 20, 24 hours or 12 hours would be good. In fact, we had that chat a week week or two ago and you said mate i don't mind coming on just give me some notice and um yeah I, I like nine, min nine minutes this <laughs> so all right you're great you don't need notice mate just come that's on right. get ambushed in and out that's fine all right well we'll be on again same time tomorrow night and we'll be chatting with zach dempster and i'm sure john will have another big guest that he's going to hook. On. I'm working on one. Yep, yep. He's answering as we speak, so I'll let you know tomorrow. Ooh, can you give us a – is it a surprise or could you give us a clue? Well, he did go very, very well in the Giro. Ooh. 
Wow. Okay. Stay tuned. Tomorrow night, all will be revealed. We'll see you then. (laughs) 